What does it mean to be a father, a mother, a parent? What's my role? What are my responsibilities? This is a choice opportunity that we have, but it's a difficult one to say the least. We want to ideally take the hand of that little boy or that little girl, and as they grow up, we want to see their hand placed in the hand of the Savior. The Apostle John captured the purpose of parenting in his third epistle when thinking of his spiritual children. Here's what John wrote. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Verse 4. We are to do all we can to see that our children walk in the truth, taking each and every step in a close, loving relationship with Jesus Christ. And that naturally requires that our children know the truth. If they don't, how can they live it? If they don't know what God says, how can they do what he says? It was years ago that Dr. Howard Hendricks, professor at Dallas Seminary, the founding teacher of our broadcast, this program, he made a statement that disturbed me, and I can remember it these many decades later. He said, out of his vast experience and research, he had discovered that, now there's a quote, four out of five children currently enrolled in the educational program of evangelical churches will not be there through the teen years, end quote. His conclusion, we are not teaching kids, nor are we retaining them. As a parent, the question is why? Why are so many young people from Christian homes turning away from the faith? I know there must be dozens of reasons, but one dominates my thinking. I believe we are failing to teach our children what it means to walk in a close, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We tell them to align their lives with His, but we rarely ever explain how to grow spiritually, and that's where our kids are let down. Our biggest concern should be that they come to know Him personally, and then that they grow, flourish in that relationship with Him. In the ancient city of Lystra, there lived a couple who had a young son. His name was Timothy. His mother and his grandmother were believers. They taught him how to walk with God. The Apostle Paul then took Timothy under his wing and loved him as his son in the faith. Look at Acts chapter 16, and you'll see that relationship. Years later, Paul reminded Timothy of who laid the foundation of his spiritual development and ministry. Here's what he wrote. But as for you, Paul speaking to Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know that from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. Man, there's a wealth of good, important information there. Uh, from infancy, he was being taught the Word of God. Now, this passage, it gives us so many parenting principles. It tells us that very young children, even toddlers, can learn the Word of God, the Bible. It also points out that those who teach the Scriptures play a very important role, needless to say. Paul knew that when Timothy remembered his mother and grandmother reading him the word, he would recall how they modeled the message. Now, this slice of reality about Timothy gives us two parenting objectives to help us accomplish the goal of seeing our children walk in the truth. Note well that Paul wrote, quote, What you have learned and been convinced of. Notice content and challenge are the critical components. Timothy not only knew what God said, he personally became convinced of what God said. He not only learned the scriptures, he decided to live the scriptures. But why? Because his mother and father taught him the content of the faith and challenged him to live it, and they modeled it. They left nothing to chance, nothing to the peers, nothing to the church. 
Nothing to itinerant preachers, speakers, or teachers. Timothy's mother and grandmother took it upon themselves to impart and model the message they wanted him to accept and apply. The result, in the case of Timothy, we've got a man of God of whom the greatest missionary of the church could depend. He was a man of deep faith, a friend that Paul longed to see. We must combine education and exhortation if we are going to equip our children for battles they will face in the years ahead, especially when we live in a day in which biblical Christianity is up for persecution. Candidly, most of us fail to do either of these very well, right? Can we admit that? We really don't know how to teach our children, and when we fail to teach them, we certainly have no solid platform from which to challenge them. What is the source of the problem? It seems to be a product of our busy schedule, doesn't it? We want to do this, but we live in this information age and it overwhelms us and then we finally get a little bit of scripture in our lives and most of us know more about computers than we do Jesus Christ. We have typically not invested the time and energy needed to be knowledgeable of God's word. I'm nowhere near where I should be and so that's my confession. Where's yours? So what's the solution? It's multifaceted and it's timeless. It's found in the book Jesus quoted most, the book of Deuteronomy. God's Word and your child. Think about it for a moment. Where do you turn? Well, Deuteronomy is an important book because the ancient people of Israel passed the torch of truth from one generation to the next by following the guidelines in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verses 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now, if you dig into this passage, you'll see there's an intellectual component and a volitional component. We've got to know the truth, but then we've got to act upon it and respond to the truth. So this is the guideline God gave to Israel, and it offers us a wealth of good, solid guidance when it comes to equipping our children with the Word of God. But it begins with an assumption prevalent in that day, but maybe not so prevalent in our day, unfortunately. This passage assumes that we who believe in the Lord God we are willing to make the effort to take his word and impress it upon the hearts and minds of our children. Your heart and mind. Do you believe the Bible? Be honest. I mean, how can you impart that which you do not possess? If someone asked you why you think Scripture is important and relevant for today, would you affirm that all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness? so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work? If you are unconvinced that the Bible is the very word of God, you will never pay the price necessary to equip your child with its message. Do you believe that the word of God is truth in the word of God, and that we need to know it and we need to live it out? Of course, believing in the Bible is one thing, applying it is another. So how can we use the God-breathed scriptures to equip our children? There are many things we can share, but let me just share a few things in the time frame that we have. First of all, teach your child to love God. I want my children to love God with all their hearts, 
with all their minds, with every ounce of strength. If they love him, they will want to obey him. If they obey him, they will have rich and rewarding lives. It really is that simple. But how does someone come to love another? The two must first be introduced. Then they must have the opportunity to get to know one another. Where can our children meet God? In our homes, where he lives out his life through us. How can they get to know him? Through what we say and what we do. The renowned Old Testament scholar, Dr. Bruce K. Walkie, recounts a time when these truths were driven home in his experience. In 1970, he says this, I was on my postdoctoral fellowship in Israel. As the Lord directed our steps as a family, we rented an apartment across the hallway from an elderly Jewish couple, both of whom had been taught Hebrew in Boston. We quickly struck up a friendship. He was conversing in modern Hebrew, and I was not. Every day, we would read modern Hebrew texts together for an hour or two. There are about 30,000 words in modern Hebrew not found in biblical Hebrew. But if I came across a word I didn't know that was also found in the Hebrew Bible, he would say, Bruce, you ought to know that word. Then he'd cite the entire chapter in Hebrew until he got to the word he was looking for. Now, this man was about 75 years of age. I think he could recite the whole book of Psalms in Hebrew from memory. I can, he said. How long would it take, I asked. Two hours? Would you be willing to chant the text while I follow it in my Hebrew Bible? I'd love it, he said. So I sat down for two hours, and he recited the entire text. He never missed a vow in the entire book of Psalms. On another occasion, he was talking me through Exodus chapter 21 and chapter 22 from memory to find a word that occurs only three times in the whole Bible. I said, I think you can recite the entire Torah, Genesis to Deuteronomy, from memory. He said, I can. I didn't challenge him again. At this time, however, my friend was an atheist. He could recite all the Torah, he could recite all the Psalms and the original text, and he didn't even believe in God. But as we were leaving Israel and embraced one another, he said to me, Bruce, I want you to know I'm now a theist. That's wonderful, I said. I could wish you were a Christian, but how did you come to be a theist? He said, I saw God alive in your home. So here's a question we all should answer. Does Jesus Christ live in your home? Does your child see him through you? Not perfect parents, but parents that are committed to the Savior and are committed to seeking forgiveness when necessary, who are living humble lives of service unto the Savior. If you want your child to live for him, the Lord God himself must be seen in you, visible by your actions. You need to live, we need to live as parents, what children need to learn. It says the passage, these commandments must be on your heart. If we have not accepted God's commandments, neither will our children. Children naturally believe that what's good for them is good for us. They're right, aren't they? For example, my wife and I have taught our children that watching television usually is a waste of time. And if we watch it, we should only view programs that will honor God and be of some use to us. One night when I thought my children were asleep, I turned on the television and suddenly heard this voice from the other room cry out, Hey, Dad, why are you watching that junk? Well, I gave the answer most dads would give. Your mother wanted to. 
I was just being nice. Then my wife called from the kitchen. The Holy Spirit has spoken. If we want our children to live God's way, we must live God's way.